Welcome to Postscript, the American Society for Pharmacy Law podcast. My name is Henry Hine, and I'll be your host today. The American Society for Pharmacy Law, ASPL, has an annual conference in the fall entitled Developments in Pharmacy Law. We focus on presenters bringing the latest and the most important developments in pharmacy law each and every year. This year, we have over two dozen speakers and presenters at the conference. This year's conference is November 3 through 6 in Naples, Florida. Attendees can receive up to 15 hours of CE in pharmacy, up to 15 hours of CE in law, and if you need both, you can get both. Registration for the conference is available at ASPL.org. In this podcast series, we're bringing a few of our expert speakers from the conference on board here for our listeners with two goals in mind. One is to get a little more depth in their background, both from where they've been and where they are now in their careers. And the other is a tidbit or two about their presentation. Today, we are honored to have as our guests, Marty Elaine and Jennifer Baumgarten. They're both with Real Solutions Group. Marty, Jennifer, thank you for joining us. Good morning, Henry. Good morning. All right. So before we jump into a little tidbit about your presentation, I'd like to go ahead and ask, and Jennifer, let's start with you, um, ask a little bit more about where you've been in your career and where you are now in your career. Thank you, Henry. Um, I feel like that's hard to encapsule, <laughs> encapsulate in a short amount of time. So uh, my name is Jennifer Baumgartner. Uh, I'm the current director of program management with Real Solutions Group, where I work with Marty. Um, I am a pharmacist. I graduated from uh, Purdue University College of Pharmacy in the mid-90s, and time has passed very quickly since then. I can't believe it. Um, But the first portion of my career, I was in pharmacy practice in the health system setting. So upon graduation, I I worked at a community hospital in northern Indiana. Um, I then decided to engage in specialty training uh, and did a a residency and fellowship in psychiatric pharmacy practice with the University of Texas College of Pharmacy uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s, and then practiced specifically in uh, mental health and psychiatric pharmacy um, with children and adolescents for a few years in in Dallas, Texas. So it was very kind of niche work I was doing in in a pharmacy practice in the health system and really enjoyed that work. Uh, it was a very collaborative, very team-based, very integrated. Um, and at that point in time, felt I was, you know, practicing at the top of my license and, and my training, and, and it was very fulfilling. Uh, very much enjoyed that work. Um, I then had sort of a change in my career, as a lot of people do, uh, just a number of factors, variables presented themselves and uh, returned to Indiana and uh, continued to work in some health system practice for a while. Uh, Mental health, medication management, um, excuse me, medication safety initiatives, um, some investigational drug trials, kind of a whole sort of compendium of work that I did in, in health system pharmacy. And then took a pivot and uh, worked with the Indiana Board of Pharmacy as a compliance officer around 2007 to 2009. And that's where I initially met uh, Marty. He and I worked together at the Indiana Board of Pharmacy. I was a compliance officer. He was the director of pharmacy. 
excuse me, the director of the Board of Pharmacy. I worked with the Indiana Board of Pharmacy as a compliance officer, and Marty was the, the director of the Board of Pharmacy, uh, and he'll, of course, tell you more about that in a little bit, uh, but had the opportunity to engage with pharmacists um, and uh, different practitioners who held pharmacy licenses as I would conduct uh, um, either investigations or inspections of, of pharmacies and really enjoyed that work quite a bit. It allowed me to have more kind of engagement uh, with my peers in the profession. They always, they didn't always love me showing up at their doorstep, but I always found it very collaborative and collegial. And in the end, you know, the outcome was the same. The goal was the same for quality assurance and improvement around uh, patient safety um, in, in uh, pharmacists who held licenses, pharmacies who held licenses in that space. And then I worked for the Accreditation Council for Pharmacy Education for 12 years as the uh, Associate Director of Continuing Education and Continuing Professional Development. So with ACPE, uh, most of what I did was around quality assurance of the, the continuing education standards. So those entities that provided continuing education and continuing professional development to pharmacists and pharmacy technicians, um, ensuring uh, the standards were of quality, that their processes were of, of quality. Um, so I did that about 12 years prior to joining RSG in uh, March of this year. Um, and so I had another sort of career shift uh, very recently this year and had this opportunity with Marty to engage in this topic of pharmacist prescriptive authority, which is near and dear to my heart. And so we're very much looking forward to uh, sharing what we know and what we've learned uh, at ASPL. That, that's so exciting to hear that. You, you, you mentioned the term niche and we have our surveys at ASPL have shown our membership are the main two things they love is the great topics and the CE. But then the other big thing is the networking. And as you get to know people, the niches, the career paths are just amazing. And you just laid yours out and it's just beautiful. And so it's exciting to hear more depth than we can get sometimes just for the little bio for the speaker and really appreciate that, Jennifer. And Marty, let me move over to you. You know, where, where's your career been in the past and where are you now in your career? Well, first off, Henry, thanks for, thanks for having us. Um, I'm currently the CEO and, and co-founder of Real Solutions Group. We're a drug supply chain and pharmacy regulatory compliance uh, consulting group. Um, but uh, I didn't start out doing pharmacy consulting, Henry, as you can imagine. Uh, I'm an attorney. I'm not a pharmacist, right? So there's a distinction there, obviously, in terms of my experience and career path from Jennifer's. Um, it started out as practicing law for about seven years. And so I litigated. I decided, Henry, I didn't like it. You're a pharmacist lawyer, so I'm sure you've had some experience on the legal side. I chose I didn't particularly enjoy that part of it or decided that and then moved on. But as things happen, and, and Jennifer and I have similar stories in terms of ending up at the Board of Pharmacy, it certainly wasn't our, 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 our life choice or career path when we started college, I think, our university. But I ended up as the executive director of the Indiana Board of Pharmacy and did that for three and a half years. I met Jennifer there, and I've spent the last decade and a half trying to work with her again. So it was a coup for us to, uh, to get her to come over to RSG. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. And we did a lot of fun things at the Board of Pharmacy. I spent uh, many, many an hour over at the Indiana State House. Uh, my role as the board director put me in front of uh, committees, legislators, uh, discussing the types of issues we're going to be chatting about at ASPL. 
And then subsequently, I became formally the legislative liaison for the Indiana Professional Licensing Agency, which is an umbrella agency that has the medical board, nursing board, pharmacy board, and a bunch of other boards, including manufactured uh, home installers. I mean, I really had I really ran the gamut in terms of different professions I was I was involved with or overseeing. But that kept me at the state house even more. And so it was all said and done. I testified over a hundred um, uh, committees over at the state house and really steeped myself in, in a lot of these scope issues and the turf wars that we see, right? I mean, it's, so it's pharmacists are trying to practice the top of their license, but you've got, you know, you've got PAs and, and nurse practitioners and, and all manner of, of professions that are, that are really battling each other around what they can and can't do when it comes to their scope. So I saw it firsthand being in an umbrella agency setting. I subsequently went on to the National Association of Boards of Pharmacy, where I did all kinds of fun things. Um, over there and, and learned a lot about um, pharmacy regulation on a national level, being with NABP. And then at the very end of my time there, started the consulting arm of NABP. It doesn't exist anymore. It's called NABP Solutions. And so you can think of it like Joint Commission Resources, having a consulting arm of your accrediting body. We helped clients get accredited and we expanded into all kinds of fun areas. I won't bore you with this morning, Henry, but Ultimately, I ended up buying the company along with my co-founder, Logan Macy, about a year ago. All our clients came over. We've got a great relationship with NABP. It just so happens we don't formally operate underneath them anymore. So we're independent and we're enjoying uh, helping out clients get into compliance, stay in compliance. That's our, that's our number one job. And so I don't get a chance Henry, a lot of times to talk about these scope issues. That was my prior life, right? What I did before, but I really enjoyed it because the state house is a game and, you know, basically it's the octagon for these issues, right? It's the, it's where the, the battle is waged. And I saw firsthand what the Indiana state medical association, uh, how they felt about these issues and really the, the vice grip they had over these types of topics. And, I see that now, or we're learning about that now, Jennifer and I, through engaging stakeholders around the country. We're talking to heads of, of pharmacist associations. We're talking to executive directors. We're talking to these stakeholders in the space. And I'm getting the same story over and over again. So, Henry, I am teasing out the topic, okay? But I am seeing, <laughs> I am seeing that over and over again, right? I mean, you know, it's the same story every single state we go into, and I'll stop there because I wanted Jennifer to touch on, on her part of the topic. But that's ultimately what we want to do is once Jennifer frames why we think that a top of the license for a pharmacist means that you do have authority and clinical decision-making capability within your license already there. Just let us use it or let you guys use it. And then on my side, I'll talk about the battles that are being waged at the local level. So that's the, so that's the teaser. So, yeah, so you've teased us here and a great background. Again, it's so exciting to hear, you know, there you are, attorney, you move away from the law. I mean, it's just the backgrounds are always amazing. I really appreciate you spent a little bit of time here to give that feel. Um, and in fact, at the end here, I'm going to ask you guys if you have any way people can contact you. And so, you know, have your emails and phone ready, which I'm sure you do. Um, but <laughs> let's jump right into your topic. What is the title of your presentation this year? Jennifer, you want to take the title and then maybe a little bit about what you're doing? Yep. Yeah, yeah, I can take the title. So our session is Pharmacist Prescriptive Authority. Give me that pen. <laughs> <So> <laughs> we're not sure anybody really uses pens anymore, but, you know, we think it gets the, the message across. Um, essentially, you know, our, our goal is to <laughs> share. 
<laughs> is to um, share sort of the, the current state of how pharmacists are, are practicing, you know, where we've been with pharmacist prescriptive authority and the related terms, you know, collaborative practice agreements, um, standing orders, you know, protocols, sort of what's happening in the environment. Um, and, you know, I've been in practice for some time now and not a ton has changed since I was in practice and, and working in, in mental health. Um, luckily at that time, you know, I had a lot of latitude in what I could do. And like I said, felt I was, you know, uh, maximizing my license and, and uh, fully working within my scope of practice with the, the team. Um, I'm not sure that's the case through throughout the profession and, and in different practice settings. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, we're going to talk about the impact of COVID on pharmacy practice and how pharmacists have practice, because clearly um, that opened up a lot of opportunities uh, to address public health issues during the pandemic. And then um, Marty will take it from there. And as he said, you know, he'll, he'll talk about sort of the current battlefield, as you will, uh, related to regulatory issues. Marty, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I know I already threw a little bit out there, but I, it's, uh, what's interesting is to see the concerted effort from the American Medical Association around Stop the Creep, I think is the campaign term they utilize. And it's not just pharmacists, right? It's nurse practitioners and PAs, like I mentioned before, and others that maybe the physicians feel threatened by when it comes to, to their own their own practice. And so, you know, post, uh, post-acute pandemic, right? there's no such thing as post-COVID, right? But, you know, you know, following the pandemic and you saw, you saw pharmacy as a, as a care destination and you saw pharmacists stepping up and playing a huge role in test and treat around COVID-19, you know, with the PrEP Act as a, drop, uh, um, a backdrop. And, you know, you, we, you know, I thought maybe just maybe you'd see some momentum. And I think you do going into these legislative sessions in 21 and 22, that, that maybe there'd be a change or a shift. But the fact is, is that the folks that were in, in control, if you will, pre-COVID are still there post-COVID, right? Or again, maybe post-acute pandemic, like I said, and they're still having the same fights and the same battles which, and I think the distinction between when I was at the state house, you know, X number of years ago is that just the, the effort that the American Medical Association is putting in through their local initiatives, they, they say they've got 108 different coalitions and, and associations they've kind of put together over the past several years since they started this effort to fight tooth and nail around any type of, of increased scope or ability to practice the top of your license. And so that's fascinating to me to see the pushback. And we're going to talk about that on a, on a state-by-state level, Henry. I want to talk about you know Iowa, Indiana, Idaho, uh, Michigan, Rhode Islanders, a few of those where you say, well, what's actually happening? Who has the influence? Who can actually make a difference and move the needle? But it, it is on a state-by-state basis. There's a patchwork out there that we've, that's always existed. And we're trying and hoping to see that there's some, some needle movement around this topic. But as of right now, I can't say that it's this massive push um, because you have so much of a fight being put up by, uh, by the medical associations around the country. So it's, uh, it's very interesting. Wow, so it's a it's a great topic. I'm excited to to have you guys come and and flush it out in much more depth. Um, I, I you know as a pharmacist myself, a pharmacist attorney, but pharmacist, you know, way back when we were we were wondering what why aren't we prescribers? You know, it just it just you know I think it's a question that virtually every pharmacist picks up during pharmacy school, and it's always in the back of their mind. And so really appreciate looking forward to having you guys come. Um, 
so as, as we move on here, the, the, um, let, let me ask you about uh, how can people contact you? If people have heard you today um, and they would like to contact you for any reason based on the background you gave or the topic you're presenting, um, Jennifer, let's start with you. How might they be able to contact you? Well, we would, yeah, we would love to hear from anybody who's interested in the topic. And this being my first ASPL conference, um, I'm looking forward to, as you said, Henry, those networking opportunities to get to know other folks as well. So um, certainly welcome anybody reaching out to us. My email um, is Jennifer, J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R, at realsolutionsgroup.co. So all one word, realsolutionsgroup.co. Co, C-O. Uh, and my phone number, uh, mobile number is uh, 847-220-4645. And Marty, same question towards you. If people want to get a hold of you based on your experience or you know whatever their reasons are, how would they get a hold of you? Yeah, and I want to echo what Jennifer said. If anybody wants to talk about this stuff, I, I the, the you know when you talk when you speak at ASPL, you're just you're talking to some really highly educated, experienced folks. So you want to be super careful about where and how you say stuff, right? And so um, <laughs> I've been called out a couple of times when I've spoken there, I didn't get it just right. And so if you've got you know information or details you'd like to share with us about this topic, we'd love to hear it. I can be reached at Marty M A R T Y at realsolutionsgroup.co not .com dot .co so yeah please please reach out if uh, you want to chat about this stuff all right all right well I appreciate your time here today and I'm going to wind her up here and I'm going to say uh, to our listeners thank you for listening to Postscript the American Society for Pharmacy Law podcast our fall conference is Development in Pharmacy Law it's November 3 through 6 in Naples Florida this year If you want to see the agenda for the conference and or register for the conference, please go to ASPL.org. This is Henry Hine, and we thank you for listening.